It's 11 minutes before the hour. You're listening to Raven Radio, KCAW Sitka. Today is Wednesday, February 24th, 2021. I'm Erin Fulton with Raven News. The Sitka Assembly has called on the federal government to waive a law that could prevent big cruise ships from docking in Alaska this summer. Earlier this month, Canada announced an extension of its cruise ship ban through 2022, a major blow to Alaska's tourism industry. That's because the Passenger Vessel Services Act requires all foreign ships to dock at least once in a foreign port when traveling between two U.S. destinations. When the Assembly met last night, it passed a resolution asking Congress to temporarily waive that law, which would allow large cruise ships to circumvent Canada's ban. Assemblymember Kevin Knox, who sponsored the resolution with member Kevin Mosier, stressed that the resolution wasn't calling for a no-holds-barred invitation. This isn't just saying, open it up, let them come however they want. This has um, you know, strong recommendations or requests that you know, this be done still in a, an appropriate manner, asking that the CDC provide that technical advisement and, and guidance. The Assembly unanimously passed the resolution. It will be sent to Sitka's delegation in D.C. and to Governor Dunleavy's office. A similar bill was introduced in the Alaska legislature last week and is currently in committee. Mount Edgecombe High School celebrated Guild Truett Day and honored the Tlingit elder and local historian with a plaque dedication and tribute Tuesday evening. The holiday has been part of the school's Founders Week celebrations for years, but it's particularly poignant this year, the first since the death of the former teacher and administrator last July. KCAW's Erin McKinstry has this remembrance. When Bernie Gurley became principal of Mount Edgecombe High School, one of the first people he talked to was Dr. Gil Truitt. He emphasized to me that Mount Edgecombe High School is more than just a school. It's more than just a boarding school. Mount Edgecombe High School is an institution. Mount Edgecombe High School is a family. For Truett, supporting students like family meant holding them to high standards around self-discipline, academic achievement, and personal conduct. He went on to say, Mr. Gurley, many of our students come from, from hard lives and tough backgrounds. We will not lower our standards or our expectations. And more importantly, Bernie, we will not allow anybody else to do so. It's advice that Gurley says has shaped his approach as academic principal of the school. And it's just one of Dr. Truett's many legacies. He spent 34 years working as a teacher, basketball coach, and administrator at the school. But his influence extended long after he retired in 1990. His place at Mount Edgecombe High School and the significance of his place really can't be overstated. Dion Brady Howard is a former student of Truett's and a current teacher at Mount Edgecombe High School. She remembers his lectures on sportsmanship, school pride, and treating one another as family. They're conversations that Brady Howard continues to have with her students to this day. We are kind of like their borrowed parents for their one to four years that they spend at Mount Edgecombe. And so those conversations are probably some of the most important education that actually happened. Truett was part of Mount Edgecombe High School's first graduating class. He was also instrumental in getting the legislature to reopen the boarding school after the Bureau of Indian Affairs closed it in 1983. But his legacy extends beyond Mount Edgecombe High School. He was also a local historian and shared his knowledge with the community in his Sitka Sentinel column, Gil Nevings. He was actually the caretaker of a lot of knowledge about Sitka's history, about Sitka's 
history as far as Native families and, you know, which clan houses were where and belonged to whom and which families were connected with one another and how. Truitt grew up in Sitka's cottage settlement, a Native community that stood on Presbyterian mission land at the time. By the age of 15, he'd lost both of his parents. But my dad never lived his life as a victim. Ken Truitt is one of Dr. Truitt and his wife Shirley's three children. He says that although his father faced prejudice growing up in a highly segregated town, he wasn't bitter. In spite of the racial prejudice that he would have experienced growing up, he also at real critical moments in his life experienced just extraordinary generosity and support. After losing his mother, he was accepted at the BIA school in Wrangell, but he had no money to pay the fare to get there. A Sitka businessman stepped in to help. When he couldn't afford tuition at Harding University in Arkansas, his basketball coach collected donations from Sitka organizations, native and non-native. I think he had this real sense of a debt to the entire community, and and a debt in not a bad way, but in a debt that he was going to be committed to to always working to, to make Sitka a better place. Ken will always remember his father for his open affection, his subversive sense of humor, and his love of sports, a love that Ken didn't share, but that he came to understand as he grew older. And so I asked him, he said, you know, Dad, tell me just what, what's, what's the big deal about sports? And he just said, uh, well, you know, when I was growing up, we weren't able to play on the white teams. And so we had our own teams. And on the basketball court, everybody knew what the rules were. And you had a chance to compete, and you had a chance to win. And more often than not, our teams, we would win. Dr. Truitt received countless awards throughout his lifetime, including an honorary doctorate of law from the University of Alaska Anchorage, a President's Lifetime Achievement Award from the Central Council of Clinket and Haida Indian Tribes of Alaska, and multiple Hall of Fame inductions. Reporting in Sitka, I'm Erin McKinstry. Petersburg residents are rallying behind a family left homeless after a February 15th fire destroyed their Scow Bay rental. Donations have poured in and fundraisers have begun. But not everyone was so nice. Hours after flames gutted the house, looters entered the wreckage and stole firearms and other treasures from a safe. KFSK's Angela Denning has the story. The shell of the two-story home still stands, blackened, but the inside is a pile of rubble on the ground more than a week after the February 15th fire. A week before, Darcy Mallory told me she had awoken to her partner's shouts. Mike was like, fire! Fire! And I just, I jumped up out of bed immediately. Mike Olson had fallen asleep on the couch, but had woken up at about 4.30 a.m. to see flames licking up the outside of windows. Mallory says he opened a door to let out one of their dogs and smoke billowed in, setting off the smoke detector. But just for a moment. It was like, and then the power went out. The smoke detector was hardwired and apparently had no battery backup. She says everything went black and quiet. There was an eerie orange glow from the flames. She yelled for her son who was asleep in his bedroom, then ran to her own bedroom, grabbing her phone and a blanket, which she wrapped around her son, 15-year-old Joseph Myrick. By then, the flames were about knee-high at the front door. Like it was just, it was so smoky. You could barely breathe, you're choking on it. Joseph was like, I don't want to go through the flames, Mom. And I'm like, I don't care, and I just shoved him. Meanwhile, Olson had been running in and out, rescuing their two other dogs. 
The whole thing took just over a minute, she says. By then, like, as we came down the stairs, I mean, the, it, the back end of my truck was already in flames, like, everything. It was just gushing up around, like, it was crazy. She had bought the truck new last year. They stood on the icy road, watching their home of six years burn. Mallory wearing a tropical dress top with shorts. They were barefoot in the cold. You're standing there and you're on the phone with 911 and it's just engulfing your whole entire house and everything that you own is just being burned up, all your memories, like everything. Like you lose so much of it and it's, it was just horrific. They were able to get the three dogs outside, but they couldn't find their cat until 10 minutes later. The glass doors shattered and he come barreling out through there like a ball of flames, just ball of flames coming flying through. He hit the boat, rolled into the snow, and took off down to the waterside. They found him later that morning with injuries and flew him to an emergency pet clinic in Anchorage where he's recovered. Almost immediately, people started coming forward to help. Neighbors drew them indoors for warmth. They got a call from a local clothing store that would open early for them to get some donated clothes. This community has been so awesome. Like, I can't even begin to express my gratitude to everybody for everything that they've done. Like, I don't even know how to start. And I'm really thankful for the EMS and the PFD, for the fire department, the dispatch lady that stayed on the phone with me. She was there listening to me scream, no, what is going on? Why? But not everyone has been so kind-hearted. A fireproof safe had been left behind in the back bedroom. The family says it went missing the night after the fire. She says they called the police. Because there was a couple of handguns inside of it, um, you know, vital records, Social Security, checkbooks, gems that we had mined when we went to Arkansas three years ago. She says she can't understand why people would steal from those who have already lost so much. But there are some silver linings. That night, without really thinking about it, Mallory had shut her bedroom door, and that's where firefighters would later enter the building. From that room, they were able to salvage some vital records, a few totes, which included her grandmother's handmade Afghans. Olson acted as a human fire alarm, only because he had fallen asleep on the couch that night. And he wasn't injured, besides a slightly singed arm. And then the outpouring from Petersburg's community. It's really humbling, honestly, to have people bring you all this stuff. And you're just like, wow, I didn't realize that I had that many friends in the community and that many people that cared. There's an account set up for donations at First Bank in Petersburg in the family's name. In Petersburg, I'm Angela Denning. I'm Erin Fulton, and this has been Raven News.